who are working here at the library and they need to get out on time. So welcome everyone. I'm Meredith from the Peace and Justice Group. We open with the recognition that we are on Wabanaki land. And we're grateful to the Wabanaki peoples, yay! And we're grateful to the Wabanaki peoples for the caretaking of this land and these waters for past, present, and future generations. Thank you. I'm going to turn this over to Jason, who will introduce the panel and our moderator. Um, it's great to see so many people. I think that this qualifies as a full house, so thank you all for coming. Um, and also, we're happy that this is being filmed and we're also being recorded for, um, for radio. So, hello everybody out in TV land and radio land, and also internet land. We're glad to have you with us too for our, for our panel um, about connecting our struggles, where we've invited, um, we've got four activists up here today who are, um, who are part of their communities and their communities have been adversely and continue to be adversely affected by corporate activities, and that's the focus of, of our panel tonight. Um, the question corporations or communities is one of the biggest uh, and most important questions that we have, um, that we have facing us these days, and we're glad to have all of these people to address that. And um, I really want to get right to them, so I'm going to skip, and I'm going to say, we know that you had a choice to be here tonight. We know that most of you have Netflix, we know there's such a thing as box wine. We know the Bruins are on tonight. And we know we have gardeners um, in here. So thank you for being here. We know that it's not because you're bored. Um, we're all in this room today because we care about our lives and we care about our homes. So thank you so much. And if there's one quick takeaway that I can offer succinctly to the corporation, it is corporations, it, it is this. We have, a, uh, we have a vision for our home and it, and it doesn't involve you calling the shots just because that you sometimes talk pretty and have a lot of money before you. Again, we have a vision for our homes and our lives, and it doesn't involve you calling the shots just because you talk pretty sometimes and have a lot of money behind you. We're so happy to have with us tonight Dawn Neptune Adams as our narrator. Dawn's a journalist, and she's an activist. She comes to us straight from the State House today where she as well as other people in this room were showing up today to, uh, to support the, the uh, Penobscot people's right to sustenance fishing. Thank you, Don. Kwe Kwe. Is this thing on? Kwe Kwe. And Louise Don Neptune Adams, Nian Banawebskewi. Uh, hello, welcome. My name is Don Neptune Adams, and I am Penobscot. I, I just want to give a quick welcome and hello, and thank you all very much for being here. Uh, it shows how much you care about your community and the lives of all the relatives in your community, not just the two-leggeds, but the fish, the plants, the four-leggeds, Everybody, it shows how much you care that you're here. Um, my, uh, my statement um, about the corporations was a lot like Jason's, the one I had planned to say today, and that is that it is your community, and you are the ones who should be deciding uh, what corp 
corporate influences, if any, should be allowed in your community. This is where you live, this is where you're raising your children, and this is where you expect to be safe. Um, safe from pollution, safe from, from harmful effects, and, and safe just to be, to exist. Um, I am an activist, uh, but I am here tonight uh, with my media hat on as moderator. I'm here as a, a member of the Sunlight Media Collective, and I hope to do um, a really good job of, of helping everybody come to an understanding of the truth that is uh, your community. So thank you very much. And if everybody could shut off their cell phones, that would be great. Thank you. Your mic's not on. And if everybody could shut off their cell phones, that would be great. Thank you. Bathrooms over here. Exit, exit. Thank you. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. I've been sitting down all day, so I'm going to stand up and talk for a few minutes. I want to thank uh, Jason and the group here for inviting me to come talk to uh, this town. I really like Belfast. I love coming down here. There's a lot of great folks in this town. Can you hear me now? Okay. So I want to start out. Uh, I'm John Banks. I'm the Natural Resources Director for Penobscot Nation. I'm a tribal member, Penobscot Nation. I've been working uh, for my tribe since 1980, following the enactment of the 1980 Maine Indian Land Claims Act. I had the awesome and honorable responsibility to establish our natural resource management programs at the tribe, and it's been uh, quite a ride. Um, I want to start out by telling you a story about uh, an interaction I had one time with the Daughters of the American Revolution. <laughs> so it was a noontime thing, and I was invited to speak to the Daughters of the American Revolution. And um, I did a talk about the Penobscot River and our history and how important the Penobscot River is to our tribe. We owe our lives to the Penobscot River. You know, we uh, thrived for 10,000 years, according to the archaeologists, without a Route 1, without a Hannaford supermarket, without a drugstore. And just, just think about that, just for a minute. Just think of 10,000 years living in the woods. All of the plants had a use, and our ancestors knew all of those. Of course, we can't live that way now because a lot of our resources have been contaminated or otherwise uh, impacted. So, okay, so I'm doing this talk with the Daughters of the American Revolution. I finished my talk, and one of them said, uh, they gave me an education after I got done talking. They said that uh, in no uncertain terms, Mr. Banks, if it was not for the Penobscot Indian Nation and the other Wabanaki tribes in Maine, the American Revolution may have gone a very different way. And 
so they were telling me about the role that my tribe played uh, in working hand in hand with the colonists in the American Revolution. And so I was really interested in that. I started doing a little bit of research and studying that and talking to uh, a bunch of historians. And uh, they told me I learned about an agreement that we had with the colonial government back in 1755, I believe it was, where we were uh, told, and this is in writing, that if we joined the colonists in the fight against the uh, British, uh, the Brits, in the American Revolution, that they would swear to protect our lands and fisheries in perpetuity. Those are the words that were used. Somewhere along the line, somebody has a different definition of perpetuity, I guess. So, and then our struggles go back to the very early days of this, this country. In the colonial times, we have stories about our tribal leaders paddling to Boston, Massachusetts in birch bark canoes down the Atlantic Ocean to Boston to protest the first building of the dams down in southern Maine in the, uh, on the Presumpscuit River. And so we have a very long history of being environmental advocates. Um, so we, we, uh, we believe that, uh, you know, we've evolved so closely with the river. We have a reciprocal relationship with her. And uh, we, we often say that the river is us. We are the river. It flows in our veins. It defines who we are as a people. And Western science can now prove that. They had to invent a science called quantum physics in order to prove that we are indeed the river. <laughs> so uh, we're talking here tonight about uh, community involvement. And so I can divide that up into, for this talk into uh, two segments. There's the, the tribe itself, and then there's the uh, outside people outside of the tribe. So with the tribe, uh, the one thing that they always come together on is the river. You know, we have some, some awful knock-down, drag-out council meetings sometime, tribal council meetings. But usually when the river's on the agenda, uh, everybody comes together. And everybody recognizes the importance of the river to us. And then working outside of the tribe, uh, I'm really so pleased at uh, groups like this. We have so many allies now that realize that, you know, we're all in this together. And today, some of us were in Augusta at a hearing before the uh, Environment and Natural Resources Committee uh, where the, they were hearing a bill that's going to set water quality standards that are protective of sustenance fishing. And it was a great hearing. Uh, there was nobody uh, opposed to this bill. And I looked around the room and we have so many friends. And I just want to say thank you to all of you for your support and your uh, caring of this wonderful environment that we all share. Thank you.
Is this one on? Hello, hello, yeah. All right, so I'm Matt Wagner. Uh, I do live right up the road in Knox, um, but I'm actually here representing my community uh, where I lived and worked for 10 years with my wife in Western Maine, uh, which is the Greater Forks area. Um, how many folks have traveled up Route 201 through Jackman and to Quebec, just a quick show of hands. So you guys are familiar with my first slide here. Um, this is the area that we're talking about protecting. Uh, this is the area that CMP would like to bring uh, 54 miles of new transmission corridor through. If you travel through Franklin and Somerset County, you can't miss the signs. Um, but it's pretty quiet here on the coast, uh, so we're hoping to change that here tonight. Um, so I am just a regular guy, not a public speaker. I don't have an official role. I'm a former whitewater guide, uh, and some of us last April found out about this in a public meeting at our town office. Our town has 40 people, so uh, the population is room uh, by half. Um, we immediately realized that we had to do something, and we were being told that this was a done deal, and we couldn't believe that, um, that somebody would just put a 300-foot wide corridor with 100-foot towers right through this area. Uh, so we started organizing, and it is, it is sort of exploded uh, into the public realm. Um, but I'm here to talk about our responsibility. So I am on the board of a group called Say No to NECEC. The CMP acronym for this is the New England Clean Energy Connect. Um, a horrible misnomer if you go to Labrador and see what they've done uh, to northern Labrador. Um, so I'm going to move through my slides real quick here. I know I don't have a, have a whole bunch of time. And I will really look forward to hearing questions afterwards. Um, so this, does anyone know where this is? It ought to be. Uh, so this is uh, right on the side of Route 201, which is a national scenic byway, which is a, a scenic, you know, byway has basically significance nationally for its viewshed. Uh, so this is called Addian Pond, and this is looking uh, west uh, towards number five, number four, Tumble Down Mountains. Uh, Hola Mountain, uh, Chloe's here. She probably knows all these mountains better than, better than I do. Um, We'll go to the next slide. So here's where we started last April. Without any public knowledge of this project, uh, Central Maine Power Company managed to go out and get letters that were sort of vague, uh, collected by every community along the corridor saying that they supported the construction of this corridor. Now, most uh, town officials didn't actually know what they were signing, uh, though the letters did come with uh, implications that by cooperating the town would receive a windfall in property taxes. Um, so about 12 months later, uh, we have a new map and uh, this new map shows us where actual towns, once we got an opportunity to organize and vote, landed. Uh, so some of the gray ones up here aren't actually towns, um, so they didn't get to vote. Uh, some of them have, Moose River, Jackman, all the way down uh, have basically uh, either rescinded support or refused to support or actively opposing. And then the green towns are towns with the exception of Pownall, um, which I can't read, but down in here, they rescinded, uh, they voted to rescind last night. So we haven't got the map updated. But they're dropped. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we didn't take it sitting down. Um, and this is actually 
my first public speaking engagement where I haven't been accompanied by John Carroll, the spokesperson for CMP. So thanks, John. Sorry to see you couldn't make it tonight. All right, and this is my last slide. This is important um, because a lot of people don't realize that this transmission corridor is not a power reliability project. It has nothing to do with relying, with delivering uh, secure energy to our homes or powering main homes. This is a straight pass through to Massachusetts, and it's a merchant line. Um, this is an exclusively for-profit development. It has nothing to do um, with providing energy to Maine or baseload power to Maine or clean energy, frankly, anywhere. Um, so this is an important slide, and I wanted to read it um, to you guys. Uh, of their touted $18 million benefits to the town, the CMP has actually made no promises to any towns, and there's no guarantee of net revenue benefit for Somerset County. So that's, that's where my heart is. Uh, ad additional personal property assessments for new transmission lines will be offset by the degradation and devaluation of real estate values and business per performance values. This is an area that depends almost exclusively on recreation and tourism industries, uh, which require this sort of pristine environment that we do have. Um, this is a merchant project, an elective transmission upgrade that's being requested by Massachusetts not a typical public utility, it's not the MPRP project. And the public utilities certificate, which they did uh, get, will allow for them to use uh, eminent domain and use free reign in this area for eminent domain in the future. So we have some bills in Congress right now where we're actually trying to strip that out. And there is phenomenal bipartisan support for this. Um, some people still need some more help understanding the issue, but. Um, that's it for my slides. Did I do good on time? Okay, well, what a good turnout there is here. We began to get the vibe a couple days ago, and uh, it was too late to look for a larger venue. So uh, those of you in the back, we do have some chairs in the hallway um, if you want to. Oh, up front. Yes, good. So my name is Ellie Daniels, and uh, I live here in Belfast, and I have since uh, the 80s. I came to Maine in the 70s. I, I came to Piscataquis County as uh, part of the Back to the Land movement and moved down to beautiful Waldo County in the early 80s and uh, have lived in and around Belfast since then. Um, I've owned a business for 25 years on Lower Main Street, the green store. And um, three years ago, I, I bought a house on the outskirts of town, on the south side of town, and uh, I thought it was gonna be my, uh, the last house that I purchased um, until Nordic Aqua Farms came to the beautiful city of Belfast. 
So Belfast, uh, as most of you know, it has a long history of industry, of fishing, farming, and hardworking people. It's a great town. It had an influx of back to the landers in the 1970s, and there was a, um, lots of mixing of the new and old ideas and energies, which I think benefited everybody all around. Uh, it was known for a long time as the broiler, as in chicken broilers, the broiler capital of the Northeast. And uh, also we did a lot of manufacturing here of shoes and sardines and uh, big lobster industry and potatoes and seaside cottages. And I mentioned seaside cottages because uh, they came with their own discharge into the bay along with the chicken efflu effluent. And 30 years later, what we see is that uh, Penobscot Bay is really just recovering from uh, the 80s, the 70s, um, the 60s. And since then, we've had a string of uh, larger industry come in that have um, had benefits and uh, sometimes disadvantages, but um, have helped to lift Belfast forward into what, what it is today, which is uh, considered one of the most desirable places to move to um, in the mid-coast area. Uh, MBNA, uh, which, which a lot of us had worries about that came in the mid-90s um, and, and ended up being really terrific corporate citizens, uh, helped us take down our chicken plant that was full of as asbestos, uh, helped us to um, bring up uh, the waterfront, uh, clean up a lot of mess down there. Uh, they were bought out by Bank of America, who um, eventually left town and uh, just a few years ago got a half a million dollars in tax abatement because their buildings weren't worth what they weren't once were. Athena Health, which, uh, which sometimes uh, feels secure and sometimes insecure in terms of um, how long they'll be here. Front Street Shipyard, which is uh, a, a very exciting industry to have down on our uh, harbor. It uh, seems very uh, simpatico with um, the heritage of the town, and um, they're doing a good job of allowing access across their property and so forth. Um, these are all the new kids on the block. So four months of secret meetings took place before the public had any awareness of what was coming. Huh. What's that about, Andrew? Okay. Let's see. Okay, I remember I added some. Okay, so uh, February 1st, 2018, let's see if I can remember what I wrote today. Uh, there was an announcement. Uh, it was complete with uh, then Governor LePage and uh, Maine and Company and uh, the big wigs from Chimbro and so forth came in and uh, had a lot of hoopla and announced to the public for the first time that, uh, that Nordic Aqua Farms was proposing to uh, build uh, what was going to be one of the largest land-based um, CAF operations. CAF is an EPA term. It stands for Concentrated Aquatic Animal uh, Feeding uh, Facility um, uh, in, the, in the globe, around the globe. Uh, it would involve the destruction or the alteration at least of 56 acres of mature biodiverse greenway with the possibility uh, in our own zoning ordinance of making 70% of that acreage impervious with buildings or roadways. Oh, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, our zoning also allows for 45 foot tall buildings with just 50 foot setbacks, although uh, uh, the city council graciously um, has said that we could have a 75 foot setback along Route 1 where that beautiful view is. Uh, the buildings uh, will uh, are estimated to cover an area of 22 football fields. So a lot of people uh, that I talk to really have no concept of um, the scope of this thing, 22 football fields. And uh, this involved a change in zoning from residential two to industrial. And this was in disregard of the intent of our active uh, comprehensive plan, which designated this part of the city for uh, rural and uh, undisturbed kinds of um, activities. So uh, this, this facility is going to involve massive amounts of water in and uh, effluent out, um, including uh, they've trimmed the uh, amount of fresh water that they would like to pull up from the deep water wells from 1,200 to 450 gallons per minute, which is 324,000 gallons a day uh, and uh, 236 million gallons a year, plus an additional up to 263, but a minimum of 100 million gallons from the Belfast Water District, totaling uh, half a billion gallons of water, fresh water, a year. Nearly half as much water as is extracted from all four of Maine's Nestle operations together. It's also going to put out into the bay up to 7.7 .7 million gallons of discharge daily. 99% of the solids are going to be captured on the way out. But the remaining effluent is going to contain about 1,500 pounds of soluble nitrogen, which incidentally is 10 pounds more than our own Belfast wastewater treatment plant, and 6 to 8 pounds of phosphorus and 380 pounds of remaining solids. And then the other thing that has happened here is uh, we have witnessed uh, a tremendous loss of democratic process. Um, city officials negotiated with Nordic for four months behind closed doors. Um, they said this was necessary for um, the business dealing. The city uh, requested and was granted a waiver of an eight-month waiting period that the PUC uh, allows for the sale of something like a quasi-public uh, water, uh, uh, water company. Then the city council fast-tracked a change of zoning from residential to industrial on that land. We had 152 letters of opposition that were submitted and 52 people who testified against this project, mostly just saying, slow down, we need to learn more. Uh, at city council hearings, this was in April of 2018. And then uh, that same evening, the council voted 5-0 to accept the zoning change. And uh, that was the birth of the organization that I represent, Local Citizens for Smart Growth. There's a second group called Upstream Watch that has uh, joined with the Maine Lobstering Unit, uh, Union to oppose. And uh, a Butters, of which I am one, uh, filed a lawsuit against the city alleging failure to follow and properly amend the comprehensive plan according to the state statute and failure to follow procedures of the zoning, our own zoning ordinance requiring input from the planning board and citizens. So uh, Nordic Aqua Farms uh, since then has uh, uh, 
I would say, captured the local press um, in that uh, citizens, uh, local citizens for smart growth have not uh, been given room to write an op-ed. We can submit our letters, but we can't write an op-ed. Uh, and they used the time-tested strategy of divide and conquer in this town. And uh, we've seen wide divisions, very much what's, like what's happening on the national level um, arise within this community. And um, as a community member, I feel pretty devastated by the changes in our community. So thank you for the opportunity to share this information and what we've learned with you. And we welcome you to um, be here tonight and to be in touch with us if you'd like to know more. Sorry about that. I'll start to talk anyway. <laughs> My name is Nikki Sakara. I live in Freiburg, Maine. And in 2012, uh, a group of local citizens in our community started a group called Community Water Justice. And um, we did that because um, we had uh, one of the, the world's largest food and beverage corporation, Nestle, engaging in a, a long-term contract with our private water utility that would last for up to 45 years. And this was against um, the, uh, the, the public there. Um, sorry. And um, we ended up taking our case up to the Maine State Supreme Court, in which we learned through this process. And what they stated uh, in court was the Maine Public Utilities Commission that oversees such contracts, it's not within their purview to consider environmental impacts. So yes. So this is a problem, right? Um, yeah, they're supposed to be looking out for us and for our well-being and health, but um, by all their appearances, they're more of a customer service agency than they are um, really offering true protections. And I think we've all been experiencing that in, in different ways through our struggles here. Is that no? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, First, I think it's, let's take a 30,000 foot view for a moment here and look at um, where Maine is positioned globally as far as our water sources here in Maine. Let's see, the World Economic Forum recently um, said, stated that um, water scarcity is going to be the, one of the largest glo global risks in terms of potential impact over the next decade to come. And an estimated 35% of the world's population currently lacks access to clean drinking water. And this is through privatization, pollution, um, drought, misappropriation, you name it. Uh, and by 2025, an estimated 1.8 billion people 
will be living in countries or regions with absolute water scarcity. So corporations such as Nestle are poised to um, present solutions to these water scarcity issues by shipping resources around the globe for private profit. So we really, uh, Maine lacks uh, legal infrastructure to protect us from such exploits. Uh, in, in towns like Freiburg, where I live, they're able to um, take water for one-tenth of one cent per gallon on a prorated scale. So actually, the more they pump, the less they pay. So it's hard for us as a frontline community, um, a, a poor rural community, to find the equity in this relationship, right? And in some communities like Denmark, Maine, they pay nothing for the water that they take. And with all the plastic waste that they create with their plastic bottles, that's another externality that really needs to be considered quite quickly because as we're learning as, um, you know, whales are washing ashore and all of our sea life, you know, by uh, 2025 it's stated that there'll be as much plastic matter in our oceans as there are marine life. So we're on this collision course and we really need to take a, a sharper look and do what we can in this moment to try to reduce these externalities so our future generations will have a better chance of survival and a happy and healthy future. Um, sorry, excuse me, I'm a little, not having the slides here, I'm a little, I want to make sure. Yeah. So yeah, I really needed that visual, but that's too bad. That's okay. No, yeah, you're you're doing fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Let's. So in Maine, I think because we lack the legal infrastructure, uh, we we have an old law in our books called absolute dominion, which essentially um, means. You have access, full access, you know, to the mining rights on your land, so which would include the water. So, um, all the water that's under your land, you also have rights and access to. Now, this old law also includes the idea of collectivism. So, you shouldn't pump so much that you're affecting your neighbor. But in the state of Maine, and not updating these laws, we've effectively have, I don't know, about 35 pieces of legislation overlying that that make that relatively ineffective. So um, and in this, this current environment in the state of Maine where we have so much lobbying power for private corporations over our water sources, it's been really hard to change laws that are more meaningful, up to date, and will provide us the protections that we seek. So, yeah. Oh, sure. Can you, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Is this better? Yeah. No? Hello? Hello? Okay. All right. I, I got to eat it. <laughs> um, how am I with time? Okay. So, um, go ahead. All right. Um, all right. Well, currently, um, Nestle has uh, 10 different towns in which they pump water from with 11 different extraction wells. Uh, they ha they've added two additional sites in the past one and a half years. And currently what they're taking out of Maine equals about 850 gallons per person in the state of Maine for export. And they are definitely growing. I don't know if anybody saw the recent release that they have this new Poland Spring Origin brand that they're marketing in the West now. So, you know, with this new marketing ploy and this new bottled water, we can accept, you know, we can expect to see um, more extraction sites and 
um, you know, a larger market for our water. Spring water comes at a higher premium, so it's really being pushed um, in, other, in other places. And so as we open up uh, our seaports and some of the seaport plans that we have and expanding our rail access, I think we can also expect this to be moved to our global markets faster and cheaper cost to them with upgrades in our rail infrastructure that are proposed. So um, I'm probably close to the end of my time. Okay, wow, excellent. So um, let's see. I want to, I'll, I'll touch upon another um, issue that's growing currently. So um, it's not just Nestle in the room that we're identified as a problem, but it's the privatization of our public water systems. Right, and so maybe some of you in here are in a community where Maine Water Company runs your public water supply. Uh, Maine Water Company is actually, um, the parent company is Connecticut Water um, out of Connecticut, and they're currently going through a $2.6 billion merger with San Jose Water out of California. And once this merger is complete, they'll be the third largest private water utility in the United States. And um, a lot of people don't understand this and what's going on. You know, Maine Water Company sounds like a good local water company. But through these, um, you know, these transactions that are going on and Wall Street coming in and getting a cut of our water and our, our service systems, um, we can expect in the future prices to rise and a lack of access for people. So giving up our local control of these resources are a uh, is a huge problem, especially looking into the future because these private corporations have a 100-year plan for Maine, but Maine does not have a 100-year plan for Maine and how we're going to best manage, best protect our resources. And it's not a matter of owning them, right? Because when we get into ownership, it's really tricky, and I think um, the Wabanaki have been really good at, at really leading on this conversation, these ideas of ownership, right? So, and I think, um, so Henry Kissinger, I think he said, you know, if you, if you have control over the oil, you can control the country. Uh, Vandana Shiva said, if you can control the food, you can control the democracy. But if you can control the water, you have control over the individuals and life itself. So we really want to be careful in how we assert the idea of control because we should all be stewards, right? We're all made up of 70% water and we all have a stake in this outcome. So we really need to protect it as we would life itself. So I'll just leave you with that thought. And sorry about that. Okay, no, no, you're fine. That's okay. Yeah. No, no, I know. That's, that's fine. Thanks for trying. Okay, here, does somebody want this? Is this the part where we ask these questions? Right. Those presentations were wonderful and gave us a great overview of uh, some of the, the issues that we're facing in our communities. Uh, we have four questions here, and they're going to be posed to each of the panelists. Each panelist will have three minutes uh, to, to answer this question. 
uh, these questions. So we're going to start down here with John Banks. Uh, and the first question is, since the issue or issues that you are pushing against in your community have surfaced, has there been a shift in democratic process that includes citizens? And can you comment on that? That's an easy one. So, yeah, like I was saying earlier, you know, when it comes to our stewardship responsibilities for the Penobscot River, people come together uh, pretty, pretty much naturally. Um, has there been a, a shift? I don't know. I think. Um, I think our, you know, our tribal leaders for thousands of years have uh, protected these lands and, and resources and waterways uh, so that we are, you know, we're inheriting uh, what they have done in the past, our ancestors. And we always talk about making sure that we fully understand the impacts for the next several generations in the decisions that we make today. And so, uh, for speaking for the Penobscot Nation, I think we've been together on this issue for a very long time. <laughs> Thanks, John. Um, so I just had a couple of housekeeping things too uh, that I met, forgot to mention. I did bring a few stickers and a couple of yard signs. Um, they're free or you can make a donation uh, if you want to. And I also wanted to thank Jason who's hiding around the corner here because I think sort of taking the community democracy starts with people like him that sort of make things like this happen tonight. So the way this went down in, in uh, Western Maine with the CMP corridor was, was pretty shocking and it took us uh, a little while to recalibrate and realize how long they had been working on this um, totally silently uh, and had co-opted some of the institutions that we thought were there to sort of protect us um, from things like this. Um, and I can go into specifics, um, but one of the most interesting things was that Central Maine Power Company created a nonprofit group called Western Mountains and Rivers Corporation, which is made up of a few rafting companies uh, that stand to benefit greatly. Janet Mills' brother, Peter Mills, um, and Maine Hudson Trails. Uh, they would benefit to the tune of, you know, I think about $15 million, because uh, now we're making them go under the Kennebec River Gorge. Originally, they were set to receive around $35 million and receive a land mitigation corridor down the Dead River and up the Kennebec River uh, to expand the main Hudson Trails system, which was going to also cross through a critical deer yard on the bank of the Kennebec River. So there's a, a lot of backhanded stuff that went on before the public found out about this. We actually found out about it after the opportunity to become an intervener in the DEP process closed. So most of the people didn't get an opportunity to intervene at the DEP, but did very actively intervene at the LUPC and at the PUC. Um, the PUC docket, which is now closed, we had over a thousand comments from the public in there. 0.02% of them 
uh, we're supporting the project and still the Public Utilities Commission, which is charged with protecting us uh, from this exact for-profit type of enterprise, still has issued uh, the Certificate of Public Necessity and Convenience for a project that uh, does nothing for Maine. Um, so what we have found is that it takes a lot of money uh, to get involved and to be represented in the legal proceedings, which we did in the um, Land Use Planning Commission and the DEP, which had joint hearings out in Farmington uh, last month. Uh, it was very long. It was a very interesting process. Uh, it cost about $40,000 uh, to take part in. Um, there's no way that a member of the public could actually participate in that um, and, and face a panel of CMP attorneys. They would just dismember you and you would have every, everything you tried to do stricken from the record. It's, it's pretty shocking. Um, it's also shocking that those folks in those panels uh, from the DEP and LUPC aren't used to seeing that much public activity. And they really listen. And I, I can say that, you know, I really felt from the bottom of my heart that a lot of them did care. And we had two big public hearings uh, where the public got to come and give testimony in Farmington in their auditorium, and it was packed every night. Over 300 people a night testified. Um, so that was great. Um, it's given me a lot of hope to see the number of people that have gotten involved, and they're from all walks of life. Um, definitely both, both political parties um, have really banded together well on this uh, to try to protect what's left of rural Maine. The forest that we're talking about um, is one of the largest contiguous forests east of the Mississippi uh, that's unfragmented. A lot of people, how many people have actually been out in the Spencer Road area or, you know, have some clue or Skinner or Lowell Town or, that's awesome. You don't see that very often around here. It's a really special area um, and CMP has put flyers in people's mailboxes, ads on your Pandora stations, uh, information in your uh, power bill uh, saying that this is a cutover industrial forest and there's no impact um, and I think a lot of people you know in just a brief introduction to the area stop and say whoa what's this place so um, that's what we're fighting for so Great job. yeah uh, so I think I described some of uh, what I've seen um, really shift in our community since um, the uh, challenge of uh, Nordic Aqua Farms came to our community. And I, I think the most uh, difficult thing uh, really began with our, uh, the zoning change last April. So remember that the announcement was the 1st of February. Um, in March was the, the Belfast Water District uh, hearing that was required by the PUC. Um, most of us didn't realize that the city had requested and received a waiver uh, for the public comment period. And it took us a couple months to really catch up to what we needed to be doing uh, procedurally in order to um, keep ahead of um, these decisions that were being made about what was going to happen in our community. And so uh, really people got activated around the uh, zoning change. And um, there was a lot of uh, people saying, well, why isn't the planning board involved? And why aren't we having some community discussions about this? And um, and there were no answers to that. And then uh, the, the process of having this um, very critical vote happen in our very small uh, council chamber 
with people overflowing the chamber overflowing the hallway, overflowing the front room, um, not being able to sit anywhere for four hours while these deliberations and the testimony went on, and then having a short deliberation period and a 5-0 vote that was totally contrary to what the citizens were asking for. Um, it was uh, one of the most demoralizing things that I've ever been through. Um, and it also really activated us. And um, since then, our group has met every two weeks. Uh, we have a, a core group we call the hub that meets on the off week. Uh, and we always have you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 people at our meetings. Um, people work on various things. Uh, we also uh, had kind of a, a last um, a last minute run for three council seats. One person was on the ticket and two of us were run-ins and uh, no, none of us got elected, but uh, the person on the ticket came extremely close. And between the three of us, uh, we had what we took to be uh, a vote against Nordic Aqua Farms of 33% uh, of the voters um, who had to know our names to write them in in the correct ward on the ballot um, without us even being able to speak to them about our names at the balloting place. Um, so there's been uh, a, a lot of waking up that's happened. Uh, we've done trainings. Uh, there's been a lot of letters in the papers. We've been shut out of some of the press. And um, we are uh, really beginning to um, get angrier and angrier to the point of uh, looking at very basic things such as rights-based ordinances for this community. So more about that to come. Uh, I had to stop writing the list that was of all the things that were coming into my mind. Um, you know, one a pattern that I've definitely noticed um, since I started working on this issue is a loss of democratic process in communities where Nestle is is trying to uh, secure contracts. Um, I've seen uh, community nonprofits spring up just to accept Nestle's donation to hand them out within the community how they see fit. So they're setting up a kind of a, their own, what I think of as a welfare system. Instead of paying what they should for water, they're funneling to certain civic groups. Um, and it really quiets opposition because, you know, once you receive money, because we're all strapped and we want to have money for our, our really wonderful community organizations to do good things for the community. But it's really going through the wrong channels in order to um, suppress dissident voices around this. Um, you know, depending on it, sometimes if I'm in the room or not, their facts change a little bit, I've noticed, as to how many jobs this will bring to the community. But when you start questioning them and doing your own research and proposing something different, they have shifted their conversation. Um, but that's really frustrating because it requires, you know, watchdogs to be there and present to, to ask them, you know, Re, you know, frame the question differently to bring out something that's closer to reality. Uh, let's see, recently um, in August, they held a community barbecue in the community of Denmark, Maine, where a question was asked in a, in a previous meeting when they were reviewing their five-year um, contract um, to the declining aquifer levels. So it was during the drought and there was a clear de decline in their aquifer and the hydrologist had said that it would take at least two years with normal rainfall for maybe it to come back up. Um, but that 
drew a lot of attention and concerns from citizens. And so later, Nestle hosted a community barbecue, invited people, and they had a different um, hydrologist to come in and explain away this decline. Um, and we had there, some community members had a, a water um, quality professional come in to help them with the science because the way that they present it is very confusing and as, as smart as we are in our communities, not all of us can read the science that are presenting it or know how to ask other questions to see what's not being shown. So, um, and this person got kicked out of the meeting and not allowed to attend. So we're seeing things like that. Uh, in, in Rumford, Maine, they were in um, closed door negotiations with Nestle, the Rumford Water District. Um, and this is legal because um, they can use executive sessions because um, Nestle's proprietary interests are protected. So they can go into executive sessions and have all of these conversations out of the public eyes and ears. And they updated their charter with um, some help from an outside lawyer um, who, um, was he connected to Nestle? Maybe. But they took out a provision in their charter when they updated it to allow the community to have a vote or say in how their water allocations will go. And this was before they got the permit from Nestle. So we're seeing a loss, a diminishing of our democracy in, in our rural areas. So um, that's been a huge concern and problem. And so, yeah. So the second question in our lineup <clears throat> is, how is information shared about the issue in your community, locally, statewide, and nationally? <laughs> well, social media has been a great tool, obviously, because it's somewhat free. <laughs> we have to pay for internet, right? But, but it's also a challenge because in rural areas, not everybody is connected to the internet or can afford it or is in a place where they have access to it. So um, I found, like, get the good people with gossip <laughs> to talk about the issue, right? You know, if you tell the wind, the trees will know. Um, that's helpful. Um, but there's some really good connected people um, um, in communities. And that's how we share information that it means the most. Because especially, you know, with contentious issues, like the Nestle issue is contentious. There's a few people in our town that stand to benefit from that relationship with Nestle that own shares in the water company and the large landowners that get some money to not develop their land um, to protect some areas over the aquifer. So there is some benefit to some people. Uh, and so it becomes very contentious, especially where we have a lot of um, conflicts of interest that seem to plague um, our town with town positions. Um, so sometimes it's not always safe to be public because these are also our neighbors. And how do we live with this divide? And still, how can we come together on other issues that are also important and not alienate each other? So when I think about communications, there's many different modes in, to get the word out nationally. I'm also communicating with people in other areas. And I often don't like to talk about this in public because Nestle has ears everywhere. Um, they've infiltrated the state. They've effectively colonized our state house. When you go up there and you see their lobbying power, I mean, it's impressive. It really is. And it's, it's hard to, to move around and it's hard to breathe in some spaces. But um, yeah, so 
anyway, there's many ways to communicate about an issue, but use your creative selves. But it's really important, as passionate as we are about these issues, really you know, have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. I think that's the most valuable thing and that I have to say about it, too, um, besides that. So, yeah. So um, in this community, I would say that uh, there have been, um, there's the information sharing that has been controlled by Nordic, um, and these take uh, the form of informational meetings. Um, the city uh, paid for the venue for these informational meetings um, until we called them on it, and uh, as far as I know, they've uh, stopped paying for those meetings, but perhaps I'm uh, not aware, and they still are paying. Uh, and these meetings were um, uh, uh, very well done, very, uh, uh, good visuals, uh, you know, artists rendering, kind of photographic wowie zowie, and uh, a lot of um, impressive um, promises of technology and so forth. And um, also, uh, at one particular meeting, I remember where there were uh, was testimony allowed. Uh, in the first meeting, uh, the the microphone was controlled by uh, Nordic Aqua Farms, and if you began to make a um, and uh, you, you know disagreeable uh, comment or um, press on something, uh, you lost the microphone. And there was some chasing around after the microphone even. In the second meeting, we were allowed to uh, present testimony and ask questions, and uh, there was a series of so-called experts um, present from places like the uh, feed company and so forth. And, um, and yet, uh, there was no answers. And then we were told to step back and let other people which uh, we certainly wanted everybody to have a chance to present their testimony. Um, in the next meeting, uh, I don't remember exactly what happened, but um, uh, basically there's been uh, four informational meetings, if I'm remembering correctly, that have all just kind of um, increased in the amount of spin and marketing um, as opposed to um, hard facts and science. And at the same time, I have to say that uh, the uh, social media has been um, recently uh, picked up by Nordic Aqua Farms and used to largely um, discredit those of us who have opposing views about it, who have spent literally hours of our lives um, on top of uh, our jobs and our families and uh, our just our uh happiness of life in the last year to research um, into an area that we never thought we would uh, uh, learn anything about. Um, and I can tell you more about uh, hydrogeology and uh, fish, fish feed and you know what comes out the other end and goes out the pipe and what's filtered and what's not and how viruses are or aren't affected by ultraviolet light and blah, 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 and pheromones and caramones and the, the lobster industry and this study and that and absolute dominion and water and the difference between a watershed and an aquifer. I mean, it has been an exhaustive thing. And uh, social media is used to discredit us as uh, chicken littles, as uh, NIMBYs, as um, uh, people who don't need to work, as people who don't care about paying their taxes, and, uh, and then to get called out in one of the op-eds that we're not allowed to submit to in our local paper as being xenophobic towards Norwegian people. <laughs> now, 
Recently, we had uh, a really wonderful occurrence where one of the reporters for that particular newspaper um, quit working for that newspaper and moved to another newspaper and has been uh, doing some excellent writing. And thank you very much to that, uh, I shall not name him, reporter. Um, there just is a confusion um, and a blind faith in this marketing and spin that I'm talking about. And, uh, and I don't for one minute believe that it is about facts and science because if you sit and study as we do these informational meetings, you find that the targets are always moving. They're always moving. And it uh, ranges from the length of the pipe out into the bay to what they are or aren't or might or might not feed the fish, the number of trucks coming in and out of the plant, uh, what the buffer, I actually, uh, we received a phone call when they bought 17 more acres directly behind my house to reassure us that uh, they had bought that 17 acre piece of land to um, provide more buffer for uh, the residences over there that were directly abutting the property. And there's three of us directly abutting the property. and. Uh, so what do we get? At the fourth informational, we see that the first building, which is the largest building, and remember these buildings are going to cover 22 football fields, 45 feet in height, not including the solar panels, which are going to generate, 22 football fields are going to generate 6 to 10% of their energy. Isn't that amazing? And did you know that they are going to put in an 8 million BTU boiler into the plant that actually, when I look at what it takes in BTUs to heat a single resident house in Belfast, I find that that boiler could heat every single 437 single residence houses in Belfast. Okay, thank you. That was awesome. That was awesome. I was like, I was like, we're just gonna give her my time. Um, I'm fetched up on that. I got you. So um, on the question of how, how our group shares information across the, the community, this, this sort of, um, it was ex we were really behind the eight ball. I mean, CMP did a ton of groundwork. They were years ahead of us in developing these groups. And they, they really were shovel ready. They had the Western Mountains and Rivers Corporation, which sounds beautiful. Um, fully endorsed their project in exchange for, you know, several million dollars. And who doesn't trust the Western Mountains and Rivers Corporation, you know? Um, it sounded so good. They've got an organization, Mainers for Clean Energy Jobs. Sounds great. You know, who doesn't agree with that? Well, it's, it's Chinbro. Um, they're everywhere. <clears throat> so, so what we did, we, had, we really, you know, we, there's about 12 of us that became interveners, and we founded the nonprofit uh, Say No to NECEC, which is actually hard. Uh, we thought that was, we didn't realize how hard that was going to be uh, to become an actual registered 501c3. We did that, and then we immediately said, well, New Hampshire just got this bad idea, you know, buried. How did that work? And we looked into it, and we found out that BCM environmental and land law that defeated Northern Pass. The attorney's actually lives in Freiburg, um, and she's phenomenal. And she looked at what we were doing and said, "Wow, CMP's using Eversource's playbook from Northern Pass. They're doing, they're making all the same mistakes." So she was able to step in with an enormous savings to us. 
um, and really hit the ground running and represents us extremely well. Um, but as far as the grassroots, or more of a grass fire effort that we've been having, um, which has been a lot of fun, uh, Facebook is just incredibly instrumental. I mean, we were able to reach a ton of people, and people are able to share news. Um, we've made a ton of videos. If you're not on our Say No to NECC Facebook page, please join. Um, Sandy Howard will probably accept your request to join within 30 seconds, because she's amazing. That's our executive director. Um, so we've written a ton of op-eds, um, which people have probably seen in the papers. Uh, we have tons of comments to the Public Utilities Commission, tons of public testimony to DEP and the Land Use Planning Commission. And we've really focused on public outreach and trying to give people very clearly substantiated facts about this project. Um, and we've tried to do our best documenting some of the misinformation that Central Maine Power Company has given people like their offers for enormous tax benefits for towns. We had a assessor look at the main power reliability project, which comes right through here in Waldo. Some of you guys have seen that. Uh, in Dixmont, CMP came to them and said when they built MPRP, they put, we're gonna pull a building permit for it was like 22 or $24 million. That's a huge commitment to a small town like Dixmont's tax base. Anyone here from Dixmont? Not tonight. Um, the first year that they filed, because CMP basically gets to self-report what their property is worth, first year filing came in at about $4 million. And the town selectman said, uh, we thought it was going to be 22 or $24 million, guys. We supported this project, and you came in and said 22 or $24 million. And they said, oh, we made a mistake. You're right. It's, it's six and a half. Um, so you can substantiate that up and down the line. So when you go back to town select boards, which initially maybe supported this project, and say, well, here's, a, here's their record on the last project that they did. Uh, towns are getting you know, 10 to 20% of what they initially promised. You know, People say, well, maybe we should stop and take a look at this. I think my time's up. Thanks, John. Thank you. So uh, at the local level, I think similar to what Nikki said, just interpersonal communication, person to person. Uh, we call it the Magazine Telegraph. <laughs> and the Magazine Telegraph has gone digital. Uh, now we uh, communicate a lot, sitting at our computers, talking to each other, and uh, just staying in touch. Families, families historically, uh, you know, there'd be family gatherings during different times of the year for exchanging information. Uh, but I, I really want to take this opportunity to send a big shout out to Meredith and Dawn for their great work. Sunlight Media has been a fantastic outlet of, in, of getting information out about some of our river issues that we've been dealing with. They've just done fantastic work. They uh, come in and they interview people. They interview the tribal chiefs. They interview myself, natural resource folks, and our staff. And then they put the interviews out on Facebook. Uh, and they have a Facebook page. Uh, so. Thank you. <laughs>
the questions? Or? I'm asking the questions. Okay, we're up to our third question. Is this question number three? Okay, so the third question is, how do you see the issues you are pushing against connecting with the issues other communities are working on in Maine and beyond? And what are the common threads? Water, water, and water. That's the common thread. That's what binds us all together. You know, you guys are here downstream from our reservation. It's the Penobscot River that, that connects us. Uh, that's all I want to say. Water. It's the water. So that's absolutely what it is. Um, a lot of people have talked about this transmission line as being a green energy, clean energy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if you want to take a look at North American mega dam resistance and what's happened on the North Shore Lab Labrador and the fact that um, NALCOR is planning 2,900 more hydro dams in Quebec and Labrador uh, to feed the Northeast's growing uh, energy demand, the methylmercury poisoning of indigenous people in Quebec and northern Labrador is staggering. Um, a few weeks ago here in town, we had the Sierra Club meeting where someone actually uh, told a woman from Happy Valley Goose Bay, Labrador, that what she was going to give up um, was insignificant compared to what we need. Um, and it was just shocking to see that that mentality is still alive and exists, and it, it's real. Um, Massachusetts, by the time this is done, the impoundment uh, of hydro there could be the size of New York State. Right now it's the size of uh, Vermont State. Um, so that's what ultimately we're up against. A transmission corridor itself isn't a clean energy project, but the DEP, LUPC, and the PUC doesn't look across the border. They have these little blinders on, and they look at this project in, under a very narrow field of view. And what we need to do is get out to the public and show um, what's, what's happening to Happy Valley Goose Bay. This is the last year that a wild, free-flowing river flows into Happy Valley Goose Bay. Um, so that's many, many rivers. Uh, it's called the Grand to those people up there. Um, it's also called Churchill, um, but you can certainly uh, investigate that yourself. I encourage people to do that. On top of that, in a minor impact, the number of watersheds, um, brook trout habitat, the amount of habitat that this New England Clean Energy Collect Transmission Corridor crosses is, is staggering. Uh, right now, there's no other infrastructure like this in the area. This proposed transmission line only takes up half of the proposed corridor width that they essentially own or have, um, have control of. The second half will might most likely be used for an AC line, and there are over 300 mountaintop windmills uh, proposed for just this section of Somerset and Franklin County. And every one of those involves massive roads up mountains and will further decimate that watershed, um, which is one of the last strongholds of native brook trout in America. 
Well, um, yes, water, the bay, and um, the few remaining wild Atlantic salmon. And I'm going to add to what other people are saying to talk a little bit about our communities because um, community is very important to me and to many of us here. And I think that uh, there's no lack of recognition in this room that Maine is a really special place and um, that's uh, why we're here. And that uh, the things that people notice when they come to a community like this one um, are a kind of authenticity and a kind of um, human connection between people that um, is um, becoming rare, and uh, especially since two years ago. And uh, I think that we have to um, recognize that in the last uh, eight years here in Maine, that our communities have been decimated by um, the administration in Augusta. And uh, that administration um, gathered around itself a lot of uh, major players in uh, economic development uh, for uh, pure capitalistic profit and um, and uh, taking of resources um, that formed into uh, groups such as Maine and Company that brought Nordic Aqua Farms here to Belfast um, to say that this was the you know the place that they just had to be and this same uh, last eight years of administration has uh, robbed our children of resources in their schools. It has robbed Mainers of food security. It has robbed them of heating security. It has made our water dirty and opened it up to uh, exploitation. And uh, it has put uh, corporations and industries in front of citizens. And um, it has done that uh, uh, with no, um, consciousness that I believe most of the people in this room share, which is a consciousness about a greater good. And so that's how we are connected, and that is how I want to spend my next efforts um, to connect together conscious movements to protect a way of life in our communities in Maine. Yeah, that's that's a great thing to, to to highlight because I think we all know in this time we're at a turning point. We can see it on the news every day. We can see it in the interactions that we have with our community members about the political climate, the environmental climate. I can see it in my kid's face when we talk a lot because he's in tune with what's going on. And we do this work together um, for the reason that it's time that we heal things, right? This trajectory that we're on, if we can't bring it back together, like we, we're in a sweet spot. We have a really awesome moment here to do things differently and to look at what is sustainability and what does it look like in the long term? So I think, you know, that's all of our concerns. Um, even though the corridor for some people, you know, it's not a stretch for me to connect water to that because, I mean, there are spraying concerns and, and things like that. And water's our first medicine. Now, if you really think about that, right? I think, you know, I remember Don and I have had these conversations, certainly without, yes. And so it's our first medicine and the way that we're treating it, 
you know, how we treat our waters, how we treat ourselves. And so we, we seem to have disrespected in such a way that how can we truly feel respected and how can we really see each other with respect when we're turning our blind eyes to the way that we're treating our water. Now, um, some interesting things, uh, just to get back to the question a little bit more specifically uh, and other common threads is, I was at the State House, um, the, the um, Environment and Natural Resources Committee decided to hear five different water protection leaning bills all in one day. So that meant we had three minutes to speak to five very important bills, which doesn't do a service to anybody in that room. Um, you know, I had worked on food and water sovereignty bill uh, with some folks in the room a number of years ago and the suits came out in force. It was double that at least for, for, for this bill. And I, I couldn't help but notice the Pierce Atwood um, government relations director there representing and working with both Nordic Aqua Farms and Nestle. Because people are here for our water. You know, and so it's, yeah, you know, with the river case that we're dealing with, we know that it's the corporations that want to use that waterway and be able to dump what they need to in order to run their business. It's important for them to have control over that so they can regulate it, deregulate it in the way that the state sees fit. So, you know, with the DEP, it's a customer service organization or agency. So we really need to look at this differently, think about it differently. All of these fights are connected and at the state level and seeing uh, the alliances, the corporate alliances that are banding together to make sure we don't pass more protective laws is impressive. Um, I had three different bills go in that I was working on directly and you know one of the three is, is going to pass, but the most important ones for today are not. So we have an uphill battle with that. And so, yeah, I think we're all feeling it because the regulatory route is really tough. Uh, that was my favorite question and answer of these four questions. I, I do love the fact that we've interwoven the water uh, together because water uh, is all related and connected and does not respect any imaginary line called a border. This is the next question. How has the process of your community struggle changed your thoughts about better and more effective ways to, to move forward and strengthen our communities? Um, you know, after the season, this legislative season, you know, having to be up in Augusta a little bit more than I typically like to, um, it's hard to have faith in that process. So um, just seeing the powers that exist, you know, until we can overturn Citizen United and get some of those corporate, you know, those, that private money out of our, our system, it's, it's going to continue. The battle's going to continue to look like this. And it's really, um, yeah, it's hard to stay, my, for my mind to stay afloat and in the right places. So I think the best way um, that we can move forward through this and what I've learned is 
certainly. I, I knew this before, but part of me needed to go through that process to feel that in that space and witness it. Um, just because I'm a person that learns by doing something. And so experientially, it seems more and more clear that within our own communities, and we have the power of home rule, right? And I know it's been mentioned up here, and Maine is a home rule state through and through. People get really salty when you're messing with our home rule authority. So um, one thing, to you know, focusing on um, from those lessons is really dig in and look look up your um, water ordinance. Some some towns don't even have them. They're finding when I ask them, they're like, "Whoa, we don't even have a water ordinance." So, what do you want for your community? You know, and what does that look like long term? Because you can put in local regulations to determine and, and set up boundaries. So that way, the self determination piece for your community comes into play. Um, because a lot of it is not going to happen at the state level. It's just not on some of these issues. The powers are so great and they're highly organized and they're becoming more organized, frankly. They know, they're really great at what they do um, and it's really hard to get our smaller community voices over that powerful narrative that's being pumped out. Uh, on the same day that we were in a hearing for those five water bills, it just so happened that at 6 p.m. that night, Nestle released their whole um, media campaign on, on social media. And um, we looked into the, the statistics or the, the numbers behind it, and they spent over $400,000 in one week on ads through Facebook. It's, I mean, it's hard to, you know, to work against that. So have those community meetings and get your folks together, have, have conversations, and I think that's one thing that we can do um, for each other. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that um, we uh, hosted a training here and put on a movie um, about six weeks ago. And um, at the end of that time, I, uh, I, I feel like I had an awakening. <laughs> and it was that, uh, that uh, we need to take a radical departure from the way we've been uh, pressing back at these things. We need to be doing some really different things, um, both at the local level, at the state level, and at the federal level. We're already doing it at the federal level. Look at those midterm elections and look at what those people are doing. You know, and uh, but it's like uh, things like ranked choice voting. You know, we can't like let these issues uh, get defeated um, because we are changing something that uh, allowed the last eight years to happen. Um, despite that, and uh, to have ranked choice voting at the at the federal level would have prevented um, our present result. Um, Returning to look at the most basic constitutional rights, you know, it was it has not been a forever thing that uh, corporations have more rights than citizens. Uh, looking at things like your city charter, our city charter has given rights to uh, corporations to um, uh, by saying that we cannot have citizen petitions when it involves decisions about economic development and uh, corporate uh, corporate um, establishment in, within our city borders. And that happened because we had uh, 
a very close referendum to keep a big box store, Walmart, out of this community. And it was very close, and it didn't sit well with some people. So uh, a radical departure, you know, and uh, now I have met a lot of radical partners from every stripe of life and income level and age and uh, uh, even political viewpoints that are all working in this movement against uh, the threats to this community that Nordic Aquafarms has brought. So let's do something different. So this is, uh, this is pretty cool for me um, because this is probably like the largest foray into like the actual, you know, um, political process I've ever taken. I'm sort of more of the troublemaking uh, variety in my past. Um, and I've had a, had a lot of fun with that. Um, so this is, this is actually pretty fun because the Say No group, I don't know if folks pay attention to the polls, but Franklin County's like over 90% opposed to this. Somerset County's, you know, around the mid 80s percent opposed to this. And statewide, you know, it's high 60s to mid 70s opposed to this. Um, it's a it's a very strongly bipartisan issue. Um, we've had folks from, you know, the right wing try to discredit this, and people from the left wing wholeheartedly endorse it. Uh, and folks from both sides come together and say, you know, you corporatists are out. You know, get out of our woods. Um, there's been some really uplifting conversations. Folks that, you know, were adamantly opposed to the North Main Woods National Monument. Now coming around a pickup truck ride saying, boy, that might have been ahead of their time. That looks a lot better than what they're planning on doing to the North Main Woods now. You know, we've got uh, the people that fought for the bear baiting referendum, you know, working with the bear baiters uh, to oppose CMP. It's, it's pretty uplifting, and I think that there's a model there for people starting to pay attention to what happens when people actually stop being divided by partisan politics and take a look at what's important for their community and realize, you know, that the water is really what ties everybody together and we need to stand up, you know, and protect that. And I think that we've bought ourselves enough time with what we're doing to let that message be heard in Augusta and folks are definitely starting to realize um, that their re-elections, you know, are, are pending on this issue. Um, probably the real head turner for a lot of people in Augusta was when the town of Wilton voted 198 people to rescind and oppose the corridor. Uh, one person voted to rescind and remain neutral and nobody voted to support it. So it was essentially a unanimous town vote in the town immediately adjacent to Janet Mills' hometown uh, to oppose this. So that um, brought a lot of politicians to heel. Um. Thank you. I guess I get to be the last one to speak on this question. First of all, I want to thank you for giving me the only table with flowers on it. <laughs> you know, we talk a lot about the integration, I can't even talk. Integration. Thank you. Integration of 
traditional ecological knowledge and Western science. And I think a lot about our ancestors and how they lived and how they related to the natural world. You know, what kinds of things did they think about? And I try to think about uh, things that we can bring forward from our history into the present that will help us continue to move ahead and continue to be responsible stewards for the environment that supports us all. And I keep coming back to the three R's. I have a main accent, so it's hard for me to say R. But that, I'm saying the letter R. <laughs> the three R's. So, you know, we talk about respect. Respect for the natural world. Respect for everything. The smallest, tiniest, you know, bugs and critters. Uh, all the way up to the mammals, and recognize that every one of those has its own job description. That's important. It's very important. You know, I've been told by Western scientists that if you take one cubic foot of soil in the average forest in Maine, they've identified over a million biological interactions going on in one cubic foot of soil. That's amazing. All of those interactions have to happen in order for that tree to grow and do what it does. So we talk about respect. We talk about responsibility, the second R. These salmon, these, these trout, all of the critters, they can't read the signs. We have to be the ones that are responsible for them. We've been given that responsibility, and we need to take it seriously. They cannot speak for themselves. They rely on us, and we can learn a lot just by observing them as well. A third R is reciprocity, and that's recognizing that uh, the natural world has supported us and allowed us to thrive for thousands of years, and we need to give back. Many tribal members, when they harvest a deer or a moose, they do a, a reciprocity ceremony. They will put some tobacco down and give thanks that that animal gave its life so that you could live. And that... Uh, that's a very important uh, ceremony that many tribal people do and many others do. Uh, I also wanted to mention, and certainly uh, what everyone has said here uh, today about going forward is very important, but uh, I think youth education and involvement is really, really important. We really need to make sure that we're working in a, the right way with our youth. They're the ones that are going to inherit what we do. Uh, you know, we are, we are the seventh generation now. And um, I don't want our grandkids to be pissed off at us for not doing the right thing and saying, what was wrong with you people? Why, you know, why didn't you take better care of her? 
while you were in power. So we can't, we cannot leave the youth out. It's, that's the most important uh, thing in terms of going forward in our education and outreach. Thank you. Thank you all for answering those questions so eloquently and with so much information. We have a lot to digest this evening, uh, but before we do, we have um, um, a chance to have a question and answer period from the audience or with the audience. Um, I will be balancing my role uh, as activist slash journalist, so if you have a, any question for me too, I would uh, be happy to short answer. Okay. Yes, I think Jason's going to do it. Oh, Meredith has the cordless mic. And there's a lady here in the front in purple, and I saw her hand first. I'm Kathy Mink. It doesn't. Is, can people hear this? Yes. Yep. Yep. It's working. I'm sorry. Tip it up a little bit, Kathy. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you. I'm Kathy Mink. I am with the Peace and Justice um, Group of Waldo County, which is co-sponsoring this. And I want to first of all thank Ellie for uttering the phrase "capitalistic profits." Because at bottom, all of this is about capitalism. Corporate, corporations are capitalist. And until we stop being afraid of saying that word, um, we're going to keep having these problems. You know, Alexandria uh, uh, Court. There you are. She is unashamedly a socialist, she has said. Now, I know you can argue about what kind of socialist she is, but nevertheless, we have to begin to talk in those terms. And I think that the tribal people, the original people who lived in tribes, had a strong social consciousness. And that means everybody. So I want to know if you all have a sense that we have to begin to recognize that and to fight back with a social conscience. What do you think of that? Can we begin to talk in that language? I'll begin, eat the rich. Anybody else? Thank you. You just did it. <laughs> Yay. Yay to you. Yeah. No, absolutely. Social consciousness. I see it changing. I, have, I really have a lot of hope uh, for the future. Uh, again, I, I got to talk about the youth. 
they come up with some amazing, amazing things. They have so much information at their fingertips that I didn't have when I was going to school. I didn't, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Google. We didn't have everything to, you know, there's just so much information. Uh, so, yeah, by all means, I, I social, more social interaction, more social justice. And I, I see it, I see socialism as a playing a major major role in uh, how we need to uh, relate to one another if we're going to save this planet. Yeah, I um, I I think that there are so many. Um, wonderful things that are already going on in this state in terms of uh, addressing issues like uh, food insecurity and um, reducing our carbon footprint and um, building local um, regenerative food systems um, and finding ways to preserve our tracts of farmland and pass them on to younger farmers who um, don't have normal uh, pathways to come into um, farming on those pieces of land. I think that we really need to um, collectively as a community take, take an inventory of our assets that are right here that are not being um, uh, nourished and supported and um, uh, that we're not allocating enough of our resources to uh, the continuation of. Um, there's an awful lot of good things going on in Maine. Um, that are above and beyond um, corporate takeovers. Oh. Um, yeah, I would agree um, to the ideas. You know, when I think of socialism or communism or any political ideology, um, you know, you look at democracy now, right? And so, I, you know, I when I think about, oh, you know, let's move to socialism, that's great. Um, but like with a democracy, like with communism, when you infuse the greed in it, it becomes something else. So when we're talking about being more socially leaning too, let's, you know, when we tend towards the political meaning of the term, you know, we need to have accountability, right? And so I see a lot of arguments, you know, and people getting like, oh, socialism, oh, what is that? Because we have, you know, generations of really negative framing surrounding that and something that obscures us from the truth. And sure, there are examples the world over of socialistic societies that may have not played out that well, but when you infuse it with greed and corruption, of course it's going to be bad, just like democracy. So, you know, and as long as the social piece the part that's critical is thinking socially beyond just humans, right? And I think Don mentioned that, to all living things. So we have to learn how to get along better with our non-human beings. And so, and I think that's the reality that we're facing right now, so, yeah. I, I think the major idea behind socialism, all joking aside about eating the rich, um, I think the main thing, the thing I like best about socialism or the idea of socialism is that the workers and the communities own the means of production. If we were to own the means of production rather than having it, uh, a, you know, a 
bunch of shareholders who care only for profits. I think that we could do much better for ourselves than the corporations and the corporatocracy has done for us. Thank you. Uh, this is hard for me. I'm not in a friendly group at the moment. Uh, I live about a mile from Ellie, uh, near the Nordic Aqua Farm uh, plant. And a lot of what I heard, what I, what I heard was a lot of spin, half-truths, and some outright lies. And I'd like to make one obvious point. If you saw those three culverts that she had up on the screen, oozing out some horrible-looking stuff, that's spin. That's, I want you to see it the way I want you to see it. It's nothing to do with reality. I'm not, I don't have any relationship with Nordic other than the fact that they came to my house and asked if they could test my water well against the wells that they would drill and draw water. And they did. They drew the water and they showed me what happened and the, the effect was there, but in, infinitesimal. And they have offered in writing to guarantee that they will make my water good if anything goes wrong that they didn't expect in quality or in quantity. And Ellie knows, and she ignored, that the Belfast Water District used to supply the, the city's water from there along with the chicken farms and the fish processing plants. They pumped a lot of water out of that place. They moved in 1980 to East Belfast and they pumped the water over there now. So the superintendent, Keith Pooler, wrote a letter to, to the public, in effect, that said there's plenty of water there for Nordic. We know that. It's a fact. It's not going to be a problem. Thank you for and your information, sir. Do you have a question? Yeah. Why don't you have a fair balance in what's being presented here? It's unfair, and it's got spin and lies and cheating. And I can't speak to the other three people here, but I know Nordic well. Um, and your question? Why don't you have fair balance in this presentation? Um, so we we actually didn't need to invite the the corporatocracy here. We're having a a discussion among community members, and I'm sorry, but the corporatocracy is is here, but wasn't necessarily invited. So. Well, then you're spinning what you want the people to hear and not telling them what the truth is. Now, a lot of things you said up here were good, and I'd be right behind you. I, can, I, can I was probably, an activist. Yeah, I can probably answer to that. So people can go to their mailbox or to the news or listen to the radio because companies like CMP and Nestle Waters and maybe Nordic Aqua, which I'm not the most familiar with, they have command over the media. So... People are inundated with their messages, and we don't need to invite them into our community forums where people actually have the opportunity to share the alternative viewpoint. Um, just last week, CMP broke the million dollar point in their spending on spin. And I can tell you that there's a significant amount of lies and if you want to join our group, you can go to the files section on the left-hand side, 
and you can watch videos of them saying two different messages and then refuting what they said six months ago. Uh, so this is our opportunity, and it's not their opportunity. And we created this space so that people... I don't, I don't need I'm to. Yep. I think I just, I think I just answered that. Um, and so, I mean, I can be sympathetic to, you know, it seems like, I mean, I, I'm not part of this community, but um, I'm sympathetic because we're all getting information in different ways, and we're seeing it differently. Um, so, and you, you mentioned the effluent pipe that was a mischaracterization based on what you understand, and I can't speak to what you understand, but um, is, is it true that there will be effluents that are considered harmful going into the bay? Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, okay, okay, so, yeah. Um, Huh, okay. It was taken right out of a, an informational meeting presentation, Dirk. Oh. Okay, well, we, maybe, maybe, I mean, I don't, I'm just, okay, yeah, maybe that's what we'll move to, but I mean, I, like I said, I don't know what the effluent pipe will look like and if it looks like that or not, but I think also the point is, and I see that it's upsetting to you because you have a different relationship with the entity that's coming. Well, the truth is you understand it and see it. So I, I'm just saying that because it's hard to hear other people when, you know, I, I'm, yeah, I'll just, okay, okay. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Next question. Rather than let Dirk hang out there by himself, I'd like to also point out that, that Ellie claimed that Nordic has control over any opposition you see on Facebook to local citizens. That's not true. That's me, and that's Diane, and that's a bunch of other local citizens that would like to be having this conversation in a meaningful way within our community, rather than inviting you guys here in vilifying a, a, an opportunity for us that we still are trying to figure out. Hi, thank you very much, uh, first of all, for all the panelists. A phenomenal effort, and I deeply appreciate it. Um, I hear a lot of uh, expression about uh, matching the uh, public interaction uh, efforts with the big corporate uh, folks. And there is an organization which some of you may be familiar with, CELDEF, Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, uh, based in Gettysburg, uh, headed up by Tom Lindsay. Uh, very powerful organization, and if they have not been asked, or if you haven't considered asking them yet, I would uh, suggest that you might do that, and could you respond to that? Yes, I can respond to that. 
yes, we have asked them. They have been here. We've shown a movie. And we invite you, anybody who would like to attend uh, Democracy School, we're planning that event, uh, to learn more about our individual uh, constitutional rights within our communities. Hi, my name is Susan Belair, and I live in Belfast, and I love Belfast. Hello, can you hear me? Could you please clarify communities of one for me? Okay. No, I didn't say three of us started it. I said there are three adjacent properties. There's actually hundreds of people in this community. What is your question? Well, I am absolutely certain from scientific sources that it's not going to be with farmed finfish, okay? Absolutely certain. And I I want to and I I want to tell you that right now 
because because it's a high-end product it is not a product that you're going to find the folks out in Waldo County uh, putting on their uh, dinner table uh, in their trailer with no heat okay Can I, can I respond a little bit Maybe more? I can answer your question, but I could ask another question. Um, and my question is, is who is looking out for the fish? We have, we have de-industrialized the Penobscot River by taking out the dams. We've stopped a lot of the pollution. And the river and the bay we think of as separate things, but they are the same thing. They are connected. And we now have 11 species of fish that have access to 1,000 miles of watershed that they haven't had for two centuries. And we have historical spawning codfish still spawning in our bay. I know because I catch them on a regular basis, juvenile cod. And now they have, we have fabulous alewife runs coming out of our rivers all over the area. So I just want to know from the panel who is taking responsibility to keep track of the fish. Is your question what agencies, what governmental agencies or NGO groups are taking care of the fish? That, are be, that have been uh, expanding their populations in the river? Is that your question? Yes. Yeah. Who's looking at the big picture? I know in about 1830, when the river started really being dammed up, that the tribes let people know that the fish in the ocean were going to starve to death. Right. And we think about the fish in the ocean not being very plentiful. Right. But now they have plenty of feed. Right. It's going to take a while to rebound. A lot of people feel that the, the uh, crash of the nearshore cod fishery has a lot to do with the elimination of the herring runs in our, in our rivers. And so uh, that was certainly one of the goals of the Penobscot River Restoration Project. And I just got an email, an update on how many alewives are coming back into the Penobscot, and it's already almost a million at Milford. And that's from zero a few years ago. But it's going, to take a, it's going to take a little bit of time. So we are one agency that's very much concerned and exercising our inherent stewardship responsibilities for the fisheries resources of this great watershed. But we work cooperatively with two federal agencies, the US Fish and Wildlife Service and NOAA Fisheries. And we also work with many NGO groups that share the same vision that we do for the future of this great watershed. Uh, so I'm, I'm very hopeful uh, that all of these groups working together are going to continue to restore this watershed to the, you know, we will never get it back to the point that it was before the Industrial Revolution because there's so many other impacts in other places that we don't have any control of uh, because these are migratory species. But, um, you know, I think that I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, that we are going to be able to rebuild 
the offshore fishery uh, here in this area, in this bay. It may take a while, but so there's federal agencies, two federal agencies, there's the state agencies, there's the Penobscot Indian Nation, and there's several NGOs that we work cooperatively with. So there's a lot of people, a lot of people concerned. This concludes our panel discussion and uh, community get-together here. Thank you all very much for coming and looking forward to maybe more of this. Let me just say, um, I want to uh, thank the panel, Don as the moderator, Jason, and everybody who's put energy into making this evening um, really a, a, great, uh, a great evening. So I want to just thank I also want to direct you, there's a great passion here in all directions. And it is the water, it is feeding the children, uh, it is all of the big issues. We are all in the same boat. And there's information back here um, around all of these groups. There's information about a dance to raise money for healing the wounds of Turtle Island. If you don't know what that is about, then look it online and you will find about healing the wounds of Turtle Island. There's information about conversion at VIW because our military is the biggest carbon polluter on the planet. So pick something up, read, talk, get involved. Thank you. You heard me. I love that list to let you know. Thank you very much. It's nice to meet you. I am
Oh, yeah. Um, and I was really upset, actually, I hated it. I said it was really terrible for this for um, many, many reasons. But I also know that this entire like, capitalism is very greenwashed. And from day one, they were telling us, you know, not to say anything about our Let's walk back there real quick. I gotta see if my laptop. Sorry, I left my laptop. Oh, go ahead.